Welcome to Nairobi Chapel and Bakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. First John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, our hearts are ready. Thank you for a lovely time of worship, Jehovah. Open our hearts this morning to hear from you like never before. May it be good ground for your word, not just for celebration, but that it might give forth seed. It might give forth in abundance, a thousandfold, a millionfold to your glory. Jehovah, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. You amen. You come about 2020. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. The book of Leviticus, like I've just said, is one of the most difficult books to read. When we did the Bible study, um, I think it was uh, actually this month, eh? most were saying, Pastor, this book is so hard to read. It is so, it's full of so many laws. One person actually asked me, she, wanted, she said, hey, how could the Israelites remember all those laws? How? There are so many. The Bible actually says that there are 613 laws between the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses goes ahead to remind the nation of Israel the laws of God. He, doesn't, he does not mention all of them, but there are many. Another person actually said, eh, they are so difficult, Pastor, because we are not in the time of rituals anymore. We hardly perform rituals unless when we shall go. Ama, the places perform rituals, Alisema, the only place maybe that rituals really are still seen is a place of weddings. You have to go do a ratio, we have to do this, then do that one, then go see these people and let a crate, now fungue, now fanye, now let a vikombe. There is so much in that. The book of Leviticus has so many laws. It has sacrificial laws, Levitical priesthood laws, ceremonial purity laws, people's holiness, and sanctuary offerings. And in as much as it's a difficult book to read, we must remember that everything God does is good. See, Elisema in Genesis. And so his word in the book of Leviticus is good, and it is needed, and it has a reason. God does not do things for the sake of of doing things. He's not like us who wake up in the morning, maybe on a day off, and you're like, hmm, leoni fanya nini. Ah, dude is organized. You are created for a reason. I have said this all this month. If you're somebody wondering why you were born, there is a reason as to why you were born. 
You're not just born to do a nine to five and go home and die and to kuzike. You must make something out of this world. We must see your footprint. We saw Jesus and so in copying him, we must be the light he told us. We asked the question in the first week or the last week of January, whether you are the light in the place that you serve, in your job, in your business. Do you shine the light of God? Because if you don't, there's a problem. When we look at the life of the Israelites, when God comes into the picture in the book of Exodus, they've been in slavery for 430 years. God saves them, gets Moses through some craziness, and gets them out of the land. But we must constantly remember, and this is one of the things we see in Exodus and the book of Leviticus, that God is beginning to wash them off Egypt. When we see God speaking to Abraham, Akimombia Bos, this is what I want you to do going forward. Leave your land, go to the place I will show you. That's the place of your ancestors. I will give it to you. You are going to be the father of many nations. When we get to Exodus, these guys are closed. They are slaves. They've forgotten of the God of Abraham. And I know why. Because Psalms 1 tells us, do not walk. Do not stand. Do not sit with the ungodly. It's very clear. But the Israelite nation has been living with the ungodly for 430 years. No wonder scripture strictly warns us not to mix our company with the ungodly lest our character is messed up. Be very careful. So God has to wash these people. He has to wash them. Now is the reason for the many laws. The reason we ask you when you receive the Lord to get the Bible is because you need to change your ways. You must now inform the new man that's inside of you, eh, boss, this is how we are going to do this. Why? Because God says so. So he's washing them consistently, slowly by slowly. Do not murder. Do not sleep with your uh, father's wife. Do not be seen doing this. Do, there are so many. God is washing them. Leviticus 20 gives us a very good picture of this washing. Let me read for us from verse 1 to 7. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Molech, the God, is to be put to death. The members of the community are to stone him. Mawe. Hallelujah. I myself will set my face against him and will cut him off from his people. For by sacrificing his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. If the members of the community close their eyes when that man sacrifices one of his children to Molech, and if they fail to put him to death, to death, I myself will set my face against him and his family and will cut them off from their people together with all who follow him in prostituting themselves to Molech. I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums, spirits, to prostitute themselves by following them, and I will cut them off by their people. Verse 7, this is important. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. 
Keep my decrees, verse, seven, verse 8, and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Molech was a pagan god of the Ammonites, some say the Canaanites, and was worshipped through the burning of children in fire. That's how they worshipped him. God is telling the Israelite nation, Tafadali, may you never be found doing that. God was warning these people, don't do like you are doing in Egypt, and also don't do like your neighbors where I'm sending you, because your neighbors do not know me. That is what God does to us when we receive him, when we live in him. I bet that each one of you seated here has a directive from God that is different from mine. God knows you very well. He knows your bringing, your family, your friendships. He knows the things you battle, you battle with. And so he must direct you consistently. Eh, hey, boss, left, turn now you. Who right? Remember my law in Corinthians? Uh-uh, ni hivi, tuende hivi, tuende hivi. And it's different. And he's doing that simply because of what he's read, he said in the last portion of the, bar, of the verse. I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. That is the theme of the book of Leviticus. God wants his people to be holy. The reason we ask you to raise your hands in the house of God, to worship, to open your mouth and declare those things of God, is that your system may begin to understand what God is all about. You must remind yourself consistently through the word of God that he wants holiness from us. That is what, is, what, that is what God is doing. He's washing the nation of their impurities. He wants them to be holy. The name of God we see in this book, that final verse 8, is Jehovah Mekadesh. This is the name of God that signifies his sanctifying power. He's telling the Israelites that he is a sanctifier. The one who separates you. Who begins his holiness in you. To direct you to be holy as he is holy. God uses the book of Leviticus to show us the readers how he went about washing of the Israelites of their 430 years of slavery. He's giving us the picture of how he set them apart, how he made them holy. No wonder the book is simply about holiness. To sanctify is to set apart. Remember Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I sanctified you set you apart. When you're saying you believe in Jesus, you're saying you're set apart. You're not like everybody else. You're not like the world. You shine like the stars of heaven. That's in Daniel. He was appointed to be the prophet of the nations. God is taking his time to show Israel, to show us his qualities. He's taking time to journey them from Egypt to the desert. He takes time to give them his laws and to get them to the promised land. And you remember the journey. You know it very well. In many instances, he almost wiped them off. You know how difficult it is to deal with a stubborn person. No. 
I don't have money to save. You know how difficult it is. God was dealing with a nation that was so stubborn. It was not their fault. Instead of wiping them off many times, he still got them to the promised land. Ten times he tells Moses, these guys have refused, have murmured against me. And I'm here, Moses, about the Israelites. Let me wipe them off. Moses is like, ah, boss, you said let's get these people to the let, let's do what you said. How many times in your life has God overlooked your issues? You're like, oh, this, this, this. But he's still there to continue with you to the very end. We are not different. Let's continue in the journey. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15 to 22, gives us a very beautiful picture of what we just talked about. Allow me to read. Today, there's a couple of verses we're going to read. This is the second last one. I'll just read for you. Nehemiah 9, 15, 22. In their hunger, this is the Israelites' hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and to take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant, stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen, failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and, in their rebellion, appointed a leader in order to return them to their slavery. Imagine that. But you, this is the point, are a forgiving God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path. There's no day it failed. Nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them all the days of their lives. You did not withhold your manna. There's no day the Israelites woke up and there was no food in the fields. You gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, verse 21, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Imagine that for 40 years. How many times have you changed your shirt in the last 10? For 40 years they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky. And, hear this, this to Mesema, you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. God was there. He endured through the craziness of the Israelites. Acts 13, I'll read from verse 16 to 20. Standing up, this is Paul, remember? Mentioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, and you Gentiles, he was in Turkey at this time, who worship God, listen to me, he tells them. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He led them out of that country. Verse 18, 
For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And, verse 19, overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this, Paul says, took about 450 years. These two portions of scripture ultimately show us that God in his love to the nation of Israel showed great patience with the people. Great patience. Do you have patience for 450 years? Will he even be here? The nation tested him, but he still bear with them. For you and I, to help the stubborn do anything will demand that you're patient. You know how it is to deal with that stubborn child? Patience. That stubborn worker, patience. That stubborn business associate, ni patience. You're like, boss, I feel like cut chopping off your head, but let me, let me give it time. Hmm. You know what it means? Loving others, brothers and sisters, will demand that you are patient with them. Love demands patience. Simply because God has been patient with you and I. That is the truth. He has been very patient. How many times has he asked you to pray to him? How many times has the Lord asked you to be in his presence? How many times has he beckoned your heart to do what he asked you to do? And he never destroyed you. He is patient. The quality of virtue of, of patience is presented as either forbearance or endurance. In the former sense, forbearance, it is a quality of self-restraint or of not giving way to anger, even in the face of provocation. It is attributed to both God and man and is closely related to mercy and compassion. In that latter sense, endurance, it is a virtue by which one bears the trials of this life hey, with resignation to God's will, one of the most difficult things to do, and is therefore associated with hope, which we'll talk about next week. From this, you can clearly see that God was forbearing with the nation of Israel. As he begins the process of sanctifying us, he is patient with us forbearing. He endures our craziness. But all this shows us his great love. And since we are to mirror the image of God, then we must show the same to others. We must love patiently. We must love Patiently. The greatest chapter on love. Hmm? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Brothers and sisters, love demands that you are patient, forbearing, enduring. Hey, this is what I hate the most in scripture. Long suffering with others. <laughs> This way, we will love like Jesus has loved us. I kid you not, the Lord has a reason for each one of us here today to destroy us. 
including mchungaji msiangalie hivyo all of us even the pope he has a reason cause we are human beings but he is patient with us very patient my question as we are about to close is your love patient is it forbearing is it enduring is it long suffering or let's go the other side is it easily angered hapo tuko wengi is it short tempered hey does it easily give up on others Do you remember Matthew 18 where Jesus has begun talking about his kingdom his time is coming to an end on earth so he begins to remind everyone how and where he's come from how the kingdom looks like how the laws from his kingdom are different from ours he's still doing the same thing of making us holy And then Peter comes to him and asks him a question. He's asking him, eh, in forgiveness, am I not supposed to forgive seven times? And then after hiyo bana, we're done. He was asking about seven times because in that time, the rabbis were teaching that to forgive, the maximum number of times was three. So in him saying seven, he was feeling like, Seven is times two and a half of what is being taught in the land. So it must be okay. What did Jesus tell him? Seventy times? Mm. Unlimited amount of times we must forgive. Forgiveness is one of the most difficult things you're going to have to deal with in this world as somebody who believes in the Lord. But Jesus I personally believe is not necessarily just talking about forgiveness. He's reminding us of who he is again. The Lord who overlooks all our issues consistently. He has forgiven us ultimately. He's reminding us that his love is consistently patient with us. What can be said of yours? Is your love patient? Or do you have a reason to not be patient with the others? Have you been patient in loving your folks, your parents? I keep telling you there's a time I could not look my dad in the face. Alikuwa meniudhi mbaya. Was like umsianaza kwenda huko. But God did something in my heart. I don't even know how it happened. One day I just came, I talked to him, nikamwambia, "Wewe msuru kuna nini nyingi sana by the way? There's something that you did. One, two, three. He was like, "Ah. Hey, Mzee Paul, man. I don't know how that happened. Nowadays I'm like, "Oh, Jehovah. You did something to my heart. What was that?" I committed to him. So how he did it, I don't know. I'm sure he did something. Who is it that you need to be patient with? Because remember in shining God's light to this world we must be like Jesus. So we must love like he loves. We must love committedly. We must love beyond time. And we must love patiently. 
If you have children, you understand what I'm talking about. Wale amna, maybe think about how your nephew gets on your nerve. But you still love them. You're like, ah, I can chop your head like any, you're so cute. You know, you know that, that feeling? That, that, that's it. God looks at you like, oh, but then he's like, I made this one. Has no power. <laughs> Who do you need to be patient with? Is your love patient?